Hey everyone, before we get started on our normal podcast for this week, uh, just want to ask you guys for a favor. We have a, a lot of you that are texting us and uh, sending us messages on social media asking about getting Steve Gorman on our podcast to talk about his book, Hard to Handle, which comes out September the 24th. We've tried getting him on, but have been unsuccessful uh, thus far, so we need your help. If you could, go on Twitter and tag Steve Gorman at SGSFox and use the hashtag GetSteveOnAmorca and tell him you want to hear him on the State of Amorca podcast. On Facebook, his Facebook page is Steve Gorman Rocks, which is the main one he uses now. Just leave him a message that you would like to have to hear him on the State of Amorca podcast with hashtag Get Steve on Amorca. And if we get him on, we promise you and we promise him it'll be an interview unlike he's ever had before. Isn't that right, Ian? That is absolutely right. So please, please, please help us out, people, and we will be forever in your debt. And we will have a great giveaway that week if we can get him on here. So go on social media. Steve's Twitter is at SGSFox, and his Facebook page is Steve Gorman Rocks. Tell him you want to hear him on the State of Amorica podcast. Hashtag Get Steve on Amorica. Thanks, everybody, and here's your normal podcast. Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast, State of America, hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the State of Amorica podcast. I trust everybody has had a good week. I know we here have. I've got my buddy Ian on the other line. Ian, how's it going tonight? Very, very well. David, how are you doing? I am well, man. Football season's in full gear. The temperature's dropping a little bit. Uh, you couldn't ask for a whole lot more, could you? It's, you know, the simple things in life, right, you know? That's right. And uh, I'm glad you could uh, make it uh, tonight. You had to uh, to brave the traffic to get home. How long were you stuck in traffic tonight? Several hours. I, I lost count. You know what it is? I'm a, I am I carpool, so uh, and the person I carpool with doesn't like to not drive. So I did manage to uh, get a couple of winks in there, but uh, still, I was, uh, you know, feverishly coming home so we could uh we could get this episode uh, down on tape so to speak well uh it's been a while since we've actually talked because we let the uh, matt slocum interview um hang out there for a little bit um so that people could uh take it in uh, really cool of him to uh give us a 15 20 minutes out of his busy schedule a couple of weeks ago yeah i mean he was it was a fantastic uh interview fantastic guy and uh you know um he even after we posted the episode he was very you know he interacted on social media ab- about it and uh, you know i i think people really enjoyed what we had there and uh, hopefully you know we'll have some some more exciting guests of that nature uh in upcoming episodes well he was really interesting to talk to because he's had such a big career outside of magpie uh he's played with every pretty much everybody you know that's like that's you know, these well-respected musicians, and uh, it really speaks to his talent that he keeps getting asked to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's he's almost has this, like, layered uh, career where you just keep peeling off a layer, and then there's something underneath it and something underneath it, and you, you realize how many people he's just, 
jammed with and recorded with and all kinds of things, you know? Well, and I'm hoping to see him when he comes here for, uh, with the Jimmy, Jimmy, the Jimmy Herring fronted band that he's got, um, the five from seven. And I think you're going to try to catch him up in Brooklyn, aren't you? Yeah. And I, I, I had said that to him in the episode and that really wasn't a, uh, one of, you know, I didn't say it out of politeness. I really would like to go and uh, see that. It seems like it'd be a cool show. It really does. So uh, we really appreciate him taking some time out to um, to uh, spend some time with us. Uh, before we talk about the uh, new Magpie EP, I do want to tell everybody that we have a Twitter account, State of Amorca, an Instagram account, State of Amorca Podcast, and Ian runs our Facebook page, State of Amorca, and we also have a YouTube channel now and you've put more stuff on there since last time we spoke right ian yes i've been uh i've been trying to uh add some cool things i have some some things that are just ready to go up i'm trying to catch up on the episodes as well so you can uh, access all the episodes we've done so far up there and uh, it's going to be a constantly evolving thing so check it out if you get a chance yeah appreciate you doing that that's uh that's a that's a big help for us, and um, a lot of people like to listen to stuff on YouTube now versus, say, Stitcher or Spotify or podcast, which are all places you can find our uh, our little show here. Well, Ian, um, we've all been anxiously awaiting the EP from Magpie Salute, and it is out, and it is really good. That it is. Um, you know, obviously the single you know we heard when it was released and. Uh, that was a great, great tune. But uh, the CEP has got you know two other tracks on it. One that's on high water, and, and one that's unique to the EP, which is "Passenger." And I know um, you had mentioned that that's some that's that's a particular track you had enjoyed. Yeah, of the two songs we haven't heard, uh, I like all of them, but uh, "Passenger" was one that I liked uh, better than uh, "Lost Boy." "Lost Boy" may grow on me. I know a lot of people are really digging it because it's a Ford tune, and Allison Krauss sings on it, which is really cool. But yeah, upon the first few listens, "Passenger" is the one that uh, I kind of gravitated to more so than, than "Lost Boy." But you were just the exact opposite. Yeah, I mean, I I really liked all of them, but that that "Lost Boy," I, as as far as Mark tunes go, that's that's one of his best uh, I've heard. <laughs>
I guess Mark had most of the song written and needed some help with either the bridge or the chorus or something like that. And uh, Rich helped him, I think, with some of the lyrics. And then Allison Krauss came down uh, to their studio and recorded some uh, backing vocals on it, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, she's uh, she's got a great voice. So, I mean, anything she lends herself to is always going to be that much better, you know. So I think, uh, you know, it's a fantastic uh, three-song little run there. And if uh, if the two songs that are on High Water 2 are any indication of what the whole album is going to be like, I think we're in for a real treat with that one. Well, and in, in my in my opinion, if, if Passenger was something they left off because they had stuff that was better, then that's pretty that, – that, that bodes well for us um, when that album yeah, comes out. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that. Hoping to get some tour dates soon, guys. Come on now. Some of us uh, – ready to uh, take off work and, and follow them around the country. I know the Boger brothers, I'm sure, are. Oh, they must be chomping at the bit, those guys. They're the, the, the two most loyal Magpie fans I've ever encountered. They're great guys. And uh, I, I like the fact that they hit pretty much every show because that means I get to run into them in the neck <coughs> of the woods. And that's, that's always a treat. They're very welcoming guys. So Yeah, they should um, they should get free tickets for life. Well, uh, Ian, uh, I, we do, before we start, want to tell everybody to follow us on Twitter at State of Amorca, and we have a Facebook page that you do a great job of running, and an Instagram page under that name, and we also have a YouTube channel now where you can um, listen to uh, our episodes, and every now and then may um, see a still frame taken by you of us uh, on Skype, and you'll see why we both have faces made for uh, podcasting. <laughs> Yes, uh, you people are benefiting from the fact that I'm a uh, almost a full-blown insomniac, so all the time I have in the, in the middle of the night, I'm getting these things ready for the YouTube channel. So please uh, benefit from my suffering, would you please? <laughs> and uh, we really appreciate everybody's support. Um, thank them for listening, and uh, we have some big ideas for the podcast, and uh, things are, are moving along at a rate faster than we thought, so um, uh, we do appreciate that. Um, for everybody for listening, but Ian, the EP now has been out for a little bit, uh, in here and, uh, it's gotten great response. I think, uh, it has just made people even a little more rabid waiting for high water too. Yeah, it's definitely a smart idea to just stuck that little teaser out there. Cause it really, uh, really does, uh, you know, get things that much more, uh, rabid for when the album itself comes out in October. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. How about you? I am, and, and one of the things that's different this go-around, if you remember when High Water 1 came out, it came out several weeks after they had begun touring and already playing l- l- those songs. Uh, yes. So for this one, other than Lost Boy and In Here, uh, unless something you know happens between now and October, that's all, all we're going to have on our plate to whet our appetite for it. Yeah, the uh, the touring plans are still kind of unclear up in the air there, but you know we'll see what we get. You know, I'd uh, I'd venture to guess if anything, it probably would push into next year. That seems um, to be. What I think Rich, Rich even saying. mentioned it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple interviews where he said next year. So I hope they'd hurry up and get those out. But uh, something that we're just equally as excited about that's going to come out before that album is uh, Steve Gorman's Hard to Handle book. And boy, the rumors are all going crazy over some of the stuff that supposedly is in that book. I, I know you've read them and heard them too, and uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be required reading and we hope to fairly soon after that comes out to have a, uh, Steve Gorman book review, uh, <laughs> episode. Oh yeah. 
I, episode, I think, uh, a two-parter at least out of that. I mean, if if it's as uh, fruitful as everyone is making it uh, out to be, so I believe I've got to look at the release date. I'm kind of um, I'm kind of realize I'm going to be in trouble Ian, with being able to read it real quick. The day that it comes out, uh, I'm actually going to be going to see Blind Melon play, and uh, I cannot miss out on that because I have become friendly with. Uh, through my other podcast with their guitar player Roger Stevens, he's personally invited me to this show, so I've got to go. Uh, they're well, one yeah, of, of course. They're one of my favorite bands. And then uh, my wife and I are throwing a wedding party that Saturday night, and then that Sunday night I'm going to see uh, Stone Temple Pilots and uh, Rival Sons, and then two nights after that I think I'm going to see Sunvolt. So I'm going to have to really, I think, stay up one of those nights and just knock it out. You got a full dance card around that time. That's uh, that's that's crazy. I do. Um, I'll just be reading. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean we need a we need a few times to uh, read it, absorb it, make some notes, and really put something together. So that's okay. We'll have time. I do want to point out though that anybody uh, that has pre-ordered a copy of the book, if you go through uh, Hatchet Books website and uh, you know put in your information and show some kind of proof that you already paid for the book, you can download uh, the first uh, two or three chapters of it and get a little early sneak preview. So if you didn't hear about that on social media, I'm telling you about it now. Go take advantage of that. Uh, even though the first portion of the book doesn't delve too much into the, the meat of the Black Crow stuff, it's still a real interesting read and really gives you an idea of how thorough the book's going to be. So, uh, you know. It's going to be good. It, it sounds like there's a lot of haymakers you know, and there's a lot of rumors out there. Um, I, if you're listening to this, I know you know what we're talking about, about a possible Crows reunion. But based on the snippets I've heard <laughs> that's in the book, I don't know if uh, it's going to be a full reunion if they were to get back together. No, I, I don't foresee Steve uh, being a part of it. And, uh, you know, not that that ever that, that didn't stop them in 05. Uh, you know, sometimes people uh, gloss over the fact that Steve wasn't there from square one in 2005. Uh, he didn't come in until about, I'd say, a month into it. So, yeah, I think you know. it was May because I think I have that show. It's from the Tabernacle. And, uh, you know, nobody knew he was coming back. Yeah, I don't know if that was a delay because they had to uh, really talk him into it or if he had some obligations to other you know, musical commitments, but you know, cause yeah, he so. was playing with the stereophonics there for a while. Right. That's true. So, and also we need to uh, talk about, um, trigger hippie. They have a new album coming out, Steve's band. And, uh, they've got, uh, largely it's a, it's a new band for the most part, but, um, the three songs that I've heard have all sounded really good, really soulful, something totally different than the crows. And I've already pre-ordered it on vinyl. Yeah, I mean, not even just totally different than The Crows. I, I think it's totally different than the first Trigger Hippie, which I enjoyed. But the, the, the stuff I've heard from the new lineup, I actually really connected with a bit more. So I'm looking forward to that record and hopefully can catch them on tour if they come through my area. Yeah, so if you're out there, pre-order the book, Hard to Handle, and uh, buy that Trigger Hippie, Trigger Hippie album. Uh, if anything, it's one of the greatest names of a band I've ever heard. Yes, so uh, yeah, uh, go buy the uh, go pre-order it. Uh, don't just stream it. Buy it. Um, help the band out and help the uh, record company out and all of that. We all need to do our part in buying music and, and helping the music industry. You know that's one of the reasons it costs so much money to go see people now is they're not making any money selling records, so they have to charge us more to go see them. And then you have the meet and greets, which can be fun. 
but um, you know, if if we all went out and bought music, um, the ticket prices I don't think would be nearly as high as they are. Yeah, I mean, look, I understand that uh, you know Spotify and all the streaming services are convenient, and I'm not saying I don't participate in those. It's it's convenient sometimes, but really, it it, it the, the artist doesn't get paid much for it, and you know if you if you enjoy something. Uh, even if you buy it digitally, just buy the album. You know, it uh, it really keeps these people going. I mean, if you think about it, uh, most albums are what ten songs. And yeah, they're, they're ten bucks. So what are you paying a dollar a song? I mean, it's well worth it. You know, so uh, I don't know. I, I wish more people would get back into buying records and and doing that kind of thing. Well, Ian, we've been teasing this one for a couple of weeks, and it's finally here. We decided to do a Q and A episode, and and partially one of the reasons we decided to do this. We get a ton of emails and messages on Facebook and, and, and on Twitter and stuff, and we really appreciate all of that. And, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And um, uh, on our next on our next podcast, uh, we're probably going to have a cool giveaway. So uh, stay tuned for that. Congratulations to Kyle Armstrong. He won our uh, Chris Robinson gift pack for our Instagram contest. So he got a uh, vinyl of Servants of the Sun. He got a cd and dvd of new earth their first new earth mud album and then you sent him the record store day version of dice game and uh let it fall from uh the servants of the sun yes and i also tossed in that uh bootleg of a bootleg uh new earth mud uh it was a cd they handed out at some shows it was like an official bootleg so i sent him along that as well yeah so kyle we appreciate uh appreciate you helping us out and uh we hope you enjoyed the, those um, those albums that we sent you, and we're going to have a cool one for uh, next week. So uh, stay tuned for the details on that. So anyway, so we decided to do a Q and A episode with a lot of these questions that people have sent to us, and uh, we have voicemails, we have uh, messages on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, emails. So what we're going to do is we're just going to read some of those, and uh, Ian and I'll give um, give you our opinion on things and. As I heard somebody say one time, with my opinion, you take that and a dollar and go buy a cup of coffee because that's about what it's worth. So, uh, anyway, we have a uh, like I said, a number of uh, of ways that people have submitted, and the first is a voicemail from Brian, and Ian is going to play it now. Hey guys, Brian from Valparaiso, Indiana here. Questions for you. Uh, number one. Maybe I'm just not aware of, but how come other bands don't cover any Crow songs? Um, I haven't heard really any other bands cover the Crows, which is kind of odd to me. Uh, but maybe I just am not aware of other bands covering the Crows. Wondering if you guys knew of any. Second question, um, and I, this is uh, just I wanted to hear maybe some stories from you guys that you might know of. The Crows did such cool things. Um, ambiance wise to their live shows um i remember uh back-to-back halloweens at, at the riv in chicago one time they opened up for themselves dressed up as the beach boys <laughs> and then the next year they opened up for themselves dressed up as acdc i mean who does that it's so cool um i was wondering if you guys knew of any other um kind of cool little uh you know fun facts about them um you know uh, like live things that they would do um that are just kind of out of the ordinary and just kind of cool like that um anyway thanks again guys take care bye-bye stay tall all right ian 
So what do you think? Why don't more bands cover the Crows? I, I don't know. It's almost like um, I, I, there's been quite a few bands that I've been into over the years that you, other people don't seem to cover. Like you don't see anybody covering Van Halen, you know, certain other things. And I, I think it's because their, their, their songs and their style are so unique, it's kind of hard to do it any justice. Although that being said, you know, um, the only one I can immediately think of is uh, Government Mule used to do um, Sometimes Salvation. Um, and they, they do a fair take on that. So, But other than that, I, I mean, I don't know the real reason. I, I honestly think it's because of that. They're just very difficult to imitate. Yeah, I was going to bring up Sometimes Salvation, and I think uh, Blackberry Smoke plays Remedy from time to time. Yes. The, 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 cut, the songs that I've heard covered by the Crows are usually either Remedy, Twice as Hard, I guess technically you call hard to handle a cover of them. And then she talks to angels, but I was interested to, you know, find out from a musician. So I reached out to our friend, Seth Miller, who is the lead singer of a really good black crows cover band called the Amorkins. And we're going to have Seth on at some point, um, soon to have him on here. But I reached out to him. And so he kind of, he was with the band at the time and that I asked him that. So they got back together and he said, he thinks it's a lot of people, think it's probably easy to play this stuff and then they get in there and realize it's really intricate and really complicated and it's not as simple as it sounds. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that too. I mean, the uh Rich and Mark aren't known as a, you know, super guitar duo for nothing. They really intertwine their playing and it's it's a lot more multifaceted than than folks realize. I I definitely have to agree with that. All right, and the second part of his question was, have you ever been to one of these shows where the Crows kind of did what they could do to you know, create a cool vibe. I, I remember one time, I think they did an Easter Sunday service where everybody they asked everybody to come dressed in white and yeah. stuff like that. Um, I've personally never been to anything like that. The only thing I've ever seen live that I guess made the news, I was at the very first show where Rich came out and stood on the other end of the stage and Luther <laughs> and Luther stood and I, it was in Memphis at, at Mud Island. And so, you know, when they were letting people in, I said, that's not Rich's setup. And I go, this is crazy thinking in my head. I was like, I wonder if it's because they're basically in Luther's backyard. They're going to let him, you know. And then I saw him the very next night. And, of course, you know, at that point, Rich, I think, was like, I can't take this anymore. And he's on the other end. But I've never been to anything memorable as far as, like, a crow's lore or where they've dressed up or done anything. You've seen them. I think I've seen them like 18 or 20 times. I, I think you've probably seen them more than that. Have you, and, and being in, you were close to New York where they're, you know, known to do some kind of cool things. What, uh, have you been to any of those shows? No, I, quite honestly, I've seen the Crows, uh, less, you know, few, fewer times than, than yourself. Um, I've actually seen more of their solo stuff and all that, you know, but, um, you know, I went to, I went to, um, a Halloween show and, uh, uh, in 07, which was that in that odd period where, um, you know, Rob Cloris was playing keys and Paul Stacy was on guitar. And, um, that the only, you know, that was notable because they did a, you know, they collaborated with Patty Smith, which was just, was odd. It was an odd collaboration. It was cool, but it was, you know, you weren't expecting that. But other than that, I had never been to one of those really, uh, cool things. I, you know, the only thing that came close was like, I was at the first, magpie salute performance which was you know a, a kind of cool thing you know? all right from ken graden on twitter 
I'm sure this is probably known by many insiders and borders on gossip, but in 2006, when Ed and Mark both quit prior to September shows, what's the deeper story? Well, as I've mentioned to you before, you know, I, I did speak to Mark for, you know, an interview uh, in Hitting the Note magazine right after he left the Crows. You know, if he left in uh, you know, the end of August, I think I talked to him in November. And um, honestly, you know, from his standpoint, really what I got from him was that uh, he was, it, it kind of seemed like it was setting him down, the constant touring and everything and being exposed to things that were previously, you know, big bad demons for him was starting to set him down a bad path. And he kind of just, for his own sake, decided to cut that off at the knees. And so I think it was that. And I think it also, I don't think anybody signed up to tour as long as they wound up doing. And I think it might have just been a case of, uh, you know, road burnout as well. As far as Ed goes, uh, you know, I um, I think Ed, you know, had some demons at the time. And I think they sent him off to sort him out. They never really got too in-depth on that, though. I mean, what, I don't know. What's your take on it? The only thing, I, I mean, I've, uh, you know, is the company line that, or not company line, but kind of from Mark's camp, that his sobriety was very important to him and it was hard-earned and he wanted to keep that. So... And I think, you know, I think you're probably dead on with Ed. I think with Ed, they probably sent him home hoping he would get better. Yeah, and it's, you know, and obviously that's their personal business, so you don't hear a lot about it. They're always very tight-lipped with a lot of stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's it's hard to, all of a sudden, Ed's not there, and, you, you know, you, you don't, you'd like some kind of reason why. I don't even think they really addressed that at the time. No, I don't think they did either. All right, also from Ken Graydon. Talk about what each of the guitarists brought to the table and compare in, in a compare and contrast type of way. All right, so I'm not going to talk about Jeff Cease. Um, I think Mark Ford is the perfect complement to Rich's uh, song structures and writing. And his solos, he plays with, you know, while they not, may not be technically, you know, the most amazing thing, he emotes so well playing the guitar and can just really move you just with his solos and even not even just his solos, just the little feels and things he does on songs. Oddly, I think is a classic case of a gunslinger, technically very proficient. Every he's played with everybody. So, and, and he's played with some very high profile artists. So he, he is a very, very good guitar player. In my opinion, when he played, um, with the crows, the stuff, um, um, some of the Mark stuff, I felt like he just couldn't convey the emotion that Mark did. Technically, it's, you know, I'm not a guitar player, but technically it was probably fine. Luther, I think, was the perfect guitar player for them at that point. I feel like on Warpaint and, and Before the Frost, there was kind of this competing between the Robinson brothers as to which direction the band was going to go. And I think Chris probably really liked some of the organic elements that luther could bring to playing you know with the slide and uh dobro and mandolin and all that which really accented a lot of um the stuff that chris was trying to write but at the same time i think rich really liked luther's playing slide playing you know on the electric guitar because mark was very proficient at that and luther had a a different style and luther doesn't use a pick and so um i think Luther was a good person for the time when he was in the band for what they were trying to do. Mark's always going to be my favorite. Uh, and I think um, 
oddly gets a bad rap. He's a great guitar player. Just look at who all he's played with. But um, that's kind of my view. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with everything you, you just said. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly, you know, there's not a lot to say about, you know, Jeff Cece. He never really, it was one record, one tour, and, and that was it. Really. And it, it wasn't even a whole tour, was it? Didn't Mark come on toward the end? No, I think he finished out the tour, but okay. they met Mark during that tour because Burning Tree was opening. Right, that's right. And I think Mark would sit in, and that really probably sealed the deal. I mean, once Mark is sitting in with them, you could see the difference, I'm sure. Right. Um, I mean, the only others you didn't really, you know, touch on were, you know, Paul Stacy. He technically was a guitarist yeah. for the band. That's right. Um, I thought he did a very admirable job. I think he was able to pick it up slightly better than than maybe some thought because he was, you know, he produced the officially released, you know, the Lost Crows material, and he did the albums and stuff. So he had some. He was close to the band and, and knew what they were about and could get onto their vibe. Um, and then, of course, Jackie, um, which at the time I wasn't really big on Jackie Green. I like Jackie Green as a solo artist and, and what he does. But when I saw him on tour, I don't know, it didn't really do much. And then I recently went back and listened to it. And I think he actually did a lot of cool stuff that, uh, you know, people didn't pick up on at the time. And, and, you know, he did what he had to do, you know. That's a hard that's a hard job, that second guitar player in the Crows. Oh, yeah. All right. Our next one, and I may I may butcher this guy's name. If I do, I'm apologizing. But I think it's Stefan Thomas Lean. I remember a Steve Gorman radio interview where he says they recorded four songs at Daniel Lenoir's studio in New Orleans. He said it was the best stuff they did. He thought they should have been released as an EP. What songs were they? All right. So I believe this Well, I heard him talk about on... Um, Stephen Hayden's uh, Hayden, I can't even remember uh, Celebration Rock podcast. He's the guy that wrote the book, is writing Gorman's book with him. Um, I specifically remember he said "Exit Bewildered" in the Fear Years, and so um, right before we came on, uh, double checked on Crow's Base, and the it was an early version of nonfiction. Bewildered, Exit the Fear Years, Thorns Progress. On That Hollow Night, and Girl from the Pawn Shop. And I remember he was saying they should have released those songs right then. And he was saying those songs were a lot harder, and you know, than stuff that was going to be on Amorca. And he thought it was some of the best stuff they've ever done. And he wanted them, he, his vote was, let's release it right now as an EP. That would have been fantastic if they did, because uh, one of the, the, the biggest omissions in their entire catalog is the fact that Exit has never really come down. Uh, with the proper studio version, yeah, that that's you know, and bewildered is a great song. So, yeah, I'm in agreement. I wish, I'm, and I also read where Gorman wanted um, "Grows a Rose" to be on "By Your Side," and he thought that should be the lead single for "By Your Side," uh, which is a song I really like. It could have been a good single. I don't know if necessarily the first single, but it definitely should have been on on the record. I would agree with him there. And right. I do want to just mention quickly mm-hmm. that this uh, that last question came from uh, Stefan there. He's a very, very big fan of this podcast, so I'm glad he sent something in, and I want to thank him for his support. He always contacts me through the Facebook page and everything. So, oh, Okay, yeah, he responds on Twitter to everything as well, so right. we appreciate that. All right, this one is actually from Instagram, and their name is great. Mayo is evil is their name. <laughs> All right. I didn't know what that meant on the notes. That's I didn't realize yeah. that's what that was. All right, so it's a four-part um, question. So we'll just tackle each one at a time. How's that sound? 
Oh, yeah, w- sure. What is the best opening act that you saw with the Crows? Be perfectly honest with you, the best opening act I saw was Space Hawk. Okay. In uh, 2001. For me, it was the drive-by truckers. All right. Best venue that you've seen a show and why? I'm going to have to go probably the Hammerstein Ballroom because that was the the size of it is, was great. The acoustics are great. And that was the first time I was ever up against the rail. And that was – I you might as well have sent me to heaven that night because that's where, exactly where I was anyway, you know? All right. For me, it would be the Tabernacle in Atlanta, uh, seeing them oh. in their hometown – the Tabernacle, it's an old synagogue uh, in downtown Atlanta, and uh, it's just a great... I, I saw a thing the other day, it was listed as one of the 50 great rock clubs in America, so that was great. All right, your favorite lyric. Man, I don't know, I'm going to let you take that for a second, think on it for a second. <laughs> oh, good heavens, baby, where is my medicine? I must have left outside with my etiquette. That's a good one. I, I, you know, I don't even know if I can pick a favorite. I know that sounds like a cop-out. But there are so many um, just little moments. Like it's not even necessarily full lyrics. It's sometimes it's an inflection of the way he strings words together. It's just a quick thing. Uh, I'm weak on this one. I can't. I can't uh, separate one out. All right, you're taking a political answer there and just and not giving us something. That's all right. You're answering this one first. Favorite riff. Okay. I'd have to say honestly, my favorite riff would probably be. I'd have to go with um, my morning song. Honestly, I think that's my top. Whenever I think, if someone was to ask me, just describe the crows to me with with an audio example, that would be what I go to every time. Or describe Mark and Rich, that would be what I would go to, you know? All right, for me, I don't know if this technically is a riff or not, but it's, it's, it's from the opening to Hotel Illness. Just something about that. It just makes me happy, and then you know the harmonica kicks in. So I don't know if that's technically a riff. Um, it's hard to beat "Remedy." I mean, that's simple but effective. My morning song, um, "Horsehead's a cool riff. Mm. Um, you know. So anyway, there's. I'm sure if you ask me tomorrow, um, you know, I will be. Uh, it'll have a different one. All right, Ian. You can't have Q and A session without questions from a Black Crow's message board. <laughs> so shout out to our friends on Amorica three. This one's from Frenchy. Why nothing from nineteen to nineteen ninety five era on liveblackcrows.com? I think it, I honestly I don't think it's anything sinister. I think it's perhaps a lot of quality recordings don't necessarily exist with from that period, with the exception of ninety five. I don't understand why they don't draw from that because there was a lot of soundboard stuff released at that time and. You know, and uh, when they had the taller fan club, I know some soundboard tapes were circulated by Chris himself, if I'm not mistaken. But anything earlier than that, I don't think they were archiving as as much as they did from like '95 forward. That's probably the simplest answer, and that's probably that's probably what it is. All right, this one, man, I abbreviated their name, and now I can't remember what it is. But the the handle is DCS. Um, why the shed tour and not a new album in 06 you mean mm-hmm. i i've never been able to figure that out i know that they you know have since have discovered that they recorded studio material at that time with mark uh you know it's some of it's circulated but i don't know why that never made it to a release i i, I never have been able to really wrap my head around that it's such a shame because I've heard that, you know, Mark wasn't necessarily their first choice to do the reunion run. 
um, and maybe they weren't committed to doing new material with him, or I really don't know. I mean, what do you what, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, this is all just me guessing. First of all, both the Robinson brothers are road dogs. They like staying yes. out on the road. I think the response to Ford coming back from a financial standpoint was probably even better than they could imagine. I think they were having a really good time because, you know, that shed tour, man, they were, man, it would be half the songs would be covers sometimes, you know, obscure covers. Um, so I think that I think, uh, and I, I talked to some people that were involved with some of the kind of with some of the other bands, maybe on that shed tour. And I don't think it was an enjoyable experience, um, for people, uh, for, for others anyway. And, You've got to wonder if they were completely blindsided by Mark leaving and they had studio time built in afterwards. What I mean by that is, could there possibly have been a new album planned all along? They go on the Shed Tour, they road test some of those songs like Code Boy Smile and Magic Rooster Blues and kind of do the way they did with Southern Harmony. They went straight from the Moneymaker Tour and they road tested all, a lot of those songs, not playing them live, but you know, soundcheck and go right in and record them. So that may have been in the plans, but I'm, we're probably never going to get a straight answer on that. No, definitely not. I mean, the only thing I can really commit to saying is that uh, by the end of that 06 summer run, they all looked pretty frazzled, a little worse for wear there. So I, I think they just spent too much time out as much as they'd like to do it, you know? All right. This one is also from Amorica 3, Cash Crow. I'm going to answer this one first because I've, I've I've got my answers written down here and it's going to give you some time to think on it because this is this is a kind of a doozy. This may be the best question we got from Cash Crow. You get to reverse three decisions in Crow's history. What are they? All right, I've got three. Some of them are kind of compound answers. So my first one is I do not release by your side. Instead, in '97, I send everybody home for a year to get everything under control. And when we come back, we release a properly mixed band sessions as an album. That's number one. I don't extend the reunion tour because of the reasons we just talked about. And then I don't take, I do not go out on the tour with Jackie green because something happened toward the end of that. That's they still haven't recovered from. Yeah. I mean, I, I, those are, those are great choices. I mean, I did put a little, into this beforehand um my first pick would be the same as yours to not release by your side and instead you know take some time do the band sessions properly and put that out my second actually probably will you know shock the hell out of some people but i don't uh i don't have them do the uh the jimmy page tour uh for the as as great as it was and uh, cool a collaboration it was i don't think Chris's voice was ever the same after that. I, I, I it just, he, I don't, I think it put a strain on his voice that he never fully came back from. And then, you know, I would also have to agree that, uh, you know, they shouldn't have just pieced together that 2013 tour and headed out of the road with Jackie. If they wanted to do something with Jackie, they could have allowed him more time to learn the catalog, you know? All right. I have one more and then you have a few. This one was submitted, uh, I think, on one of, I think, Facebook, maybe. You sent me the email. It's from Seth W. Have you ever bought one of the albums for a friend, whether it was Lions or a bootleg for a friend, in an effort to turn them on to the band? Um, yeah, I do it all the time. I mean, uh, you're the king. The best way to get, 
it, it's the best way to get somebody into something is, uh, you know, if they're reluctant to do it, just give it to them. You know, <laughs> if it's free is for me. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I remember when uh war paint came out, I think I bought three copies and sent to friends. I was kind of right. You know, when Amazon was becoming kind of a big thing and I just got their addresses and sent them to them. Um, I also used to buy, um, uh, for instance, I have a friend that's a huge Pink Floyd fan, so I would buy one of the shows like where they covered Fearless, and and copy it and you know give it to him, and then um, uh, I did the same thing. I know I bought Before the Frost for somebody, um, and then I'm pretty sure I gave away a couple of copies of Lines. But yeah, I think we're all, I think most Crows fans have probably done that at least one because. It's like you have this great joy, and you want to you want to share it with people, and you want to have people to talk to about it. You know, and a lot yeah, for a, a exactly. lot of times for selfish reasons, that's why I did it because I had a lot of friends who liked the crows, but I was the only one that was just insane about them. You know, they they would be in like they would be in you know crazy into like REM and stuff like that, which I love REM, seen them several times, but um, you know I couldn't talk in detail, you know, about REM versus the crows. So in a lot of a lot of times, sadly, it was just me trying to find a Black Crows buddy. Yeah, I mean, uh, that definitely is, uh, you know, a, a selfish motivation, too. I just, I, I don't know. I just like to, you know, I think I've touched on this before. I just like to spread around music, especially when it's things of, of related to the Crows. Because I, I spend a lot of time trying to get my hands on certain things and trying to, and you just would be met with resistance from so many people who, you know, wanted to be like, you know, the cool kid in class or something, you know. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, so that's why I've gone completely the opposite. I think I must, I have must have, have bought, you know, 10, 12 copies of High Water 1, uh, you know, Magpie Salute that I've, that aren't my own. I fully so. think at the very least, Rich should send you a free ticket and like maybe even a free guitar. Because, <laughs> I mean, first of all, all our, you, the majority of our giveaways, you've you've you have found that stuff to give away, and then I think on every one of them, you surprised the people with a little something special that we weren't advertising. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of cool to do too. You know that because you know you think something's coming and then it is it comes, but then there's something else. You know, I don't know. It just I, a lot of people, you know, and I've had people say negative things to me about doing that too. Like I I, I do it for attention or this or that. I really just do it because I think it's cool to do, and I like to. I like the people that I, I, I've met through this being into this band. I, I genuinely like the majority of them, and I just like to be able to do something for them. Well, my um, my record collection has certainly benefited from it. Um, I, I'll I'll tell I'll brag on you for a second, Ian. Uh, about a month or so ago, I went out of town on a vacation, and Ian had asked me. He, he said he lost my address, and he needed to send it to him again. And so, um, well, originally, let's put it this way, I wouldn't. I ordered Before the Frost on the vinyl, the limited edition vinyl version, and then uh, Bull Moose did me wrong and didn't send it to me. So Ian sent me his copy uh, of it. Oh, I, that, was, that was Lost Crows. Yeah, Lost Crows, Lost Crows, yeah. And so then uh, I go on vacation and I come back and I've got like, I've got several boxes out in front of my front door. And one of them is from uh, New York where Ian lives. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what this is. And Ian gave me his unopened copy of the live at the Greek, uh, album on vinyl. And man, uh, that made my day. Uh, cause that's, a, I, I'm, I got into vinyl about a year ago and I'm trying to, my goal is, you know, to have everything the crows have released on vinyl, but 
that's one that's not necessarily so easy to find. So Ian is, uh, he's kind of like Santa Claus <laughs> with, uh, with the stuff. Yeah, that was really, that was really oh. cool. It's on white vinyl. Uh, it's really cool looking and, uh, it sounds a musical Chris Kringle. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. So those are the questions that I have. You have a few that I'm, I'm I think I've seen them, but I'm, why don't you read those out? Um, well, t- two of them I have are from uh, a gentleman named Annie Melman, who's over in the UK, another very big supporter of the show. And, uh, just recently sent us a very positive message about, uh, you know, his thoughts on the, on the show and everything. So he's a great guy. He actually, sent two you know fairly straightforward questions but they're good ones um first one being if you could attend any gig from crow's history which would you choose and why i'm gonna let you feel this one first for me it would be a show at the tabernacle in atlanta the first show back with gorman where you had the first show back with the classic lineup uh bill dobro would been out gorman comes out and it's ed mark sven rich and chris um, that's the one, if I could go see any show in history, I, I, I think I'd want to go see that one. See, now you answered that so quick. You've thought on this before. I know you, I can tell, <laughs> but, uh, the show I would pick, and I, I go back to this show a lot in terms of like, I've picked some of the songs for outro music and things like that. It's that December 15th, 1996 show at the joint in Las Vegas, where it was like 80% covers, but it's just so cool to me that show. And I, I, one of the first shows I ever actually had on, you know, I traded from trading uh, years ago, and uh, I love it. I would love to have been there. It's, it seemed like such a cool night. I remember the poker chips that were going around. Yeah. Yeah, right, because it was at a casino. Right. Uh, and then, uh, so that would be mine. But um, so Andy's other question was uh, well, it's not really a question, it's like a scenario here. Um, you have to swap a Chris Robinson, Rich Robinson, and Mark Ford solo track for three tracks off any black crows album and which ones would they be and why all right so here's how i'm gonna do it i may be answering it wrong but so be it he told us we could take artistic license with it all right for a mark ford song i would take evil eye off three snakes and put hell or high water on a morka i would take downtown money waster off and giving key by rich robinson and then on War Paint, I would take Locust Street off and put the Chris Robinson Brotherhood song, High is Not the Top. Nice. Nice picks. See, you have a much quicker mind for this kind of thing than I do, <laughs> I tell you. I, um, the first one that springs to mind, it would be uh, Rich's uh, Giving Key. Uh, I would definitely, that, that, has, that smells of the crows, you know. And... Um, I tried to decide what album I'd ultimately like to put it on, but and then first I thought I couldn't do this, but hey, it's, I can do whatever I want. Right. So <laughs> but I would put that on. Um, I would take a diamond ring off of By Your Side, and I would put Giving Key on there because it kind of has that kind of soulful, right, overall sound that that By Your Side had. Um, Chris Robinson wise, I really think that Sunday sound would really be at home. On the uh, before the frost, I would have to take. I off, can agree with that. I would have to take off Garden Gate because that song to me, for some reason, just never fit in anywhere. I, not that it's a bad tune; I, I, it's it's cool for what it is, but it just doesn't fit in with the rest of the album. So, 
And then, um, let's see. I know there was a Mark song. I always thought that um, that uh, Smoke Signals would fit in somewhere nice um, on a Black Crows record. But I, I, I think I would have to go the same as you. I think I'd have to tack that one on to the end of Three Snakes. Because that's such a... It has that same dark, like, ominous vibe right. to it that the rest of Three Snakes has, you know? Right. But uh, those would be my three picks, just off the top of my head. So then my the other question we got was from uh, another one I got through Facebook Messenger uh, from a gentleman named uh, Jay Lewis. And uh, basically he was saying that um, because of the 25th anniversary was coming up, he thought there would be a, lot, a slew of, you know... Uh, reissues and audiophile, audiophile vinyl stuff and li- new live stuff and B-sides or maybe even a box set or something like that. And he wants he wanted to know what would be on the top of our wish list for a new uh, or archival live release and a new archival studio release. So, like, what, what material would we want to see come out there the most? For a live release, I would love to get a good version of that Houston show high, on the Highs the Moon tour in '92. Mm. I, I would, I would, I know there's some radio versions of that around. Um, for an archival release or um, or studio release, I would like to have a properly mastered version of the band sessions. Mm. I think that would be good. And then you got to find some way to get those songs from uh, New Orleans on there, Bewildered and uh, Exit. You got you to gotta get a proper release for Exit. Absolutely. I think um, I agree with you about uh, the Houston 93 show, but also I, I would feel like a proper release of the, the VH1 Storytellers from 96 would be nice. It's a really nice acoustic show, and it's got – you know, all those great stories in it. And they never really released any of those on, right. you know, or, or, or a very small amount. I think that would be cool. Cause even the bootleg is kind of sound wise. I mean, it's straight from a video. So it's got like a hum to it. Right. As far as studio stuff goes, I would just want them to release like, a, you know, a, a fan's dream, like a treasure trove of all B sides and stuff that was never released ever. You know, all that stuff where I think it's circulating now on a disc called Dying from the Cure, mm-hmm. which is a lot of stuff from the 0506. I think that would be great. You know, I, I would really like that stuff. Oh, yeah. We can only hope. I, that's one of the things that, that frustrates me with them. Just put it all out there. If you're not going to get back together, just put it all out there. I mean, there's people yeah. I would I'd, I'd pay three four hundred dollars for all that. Oh, you easily. It, it, I it, always it, assumed it, be, it came down to like licensing rights or something, like, or they couldn't agree on what to put out, you know. Or it may be that it was all recorded under different labels. Mm. I, I don't know. I don't understand how that works. I don't either. at all. Um, this was fun. Yeah, man. I, I, I hopefully you know people will listen to this and then they'll maybe uh, inspire them to send us questions and please keep sending us stuff. You know, we can always stockpile them for the next time around and and uh you know so just if you think of something or you something you want us to talk about just send it along and, yeah uh, we'll do this again six months or so uh we'll have more stuff to uh to do i do want to tell everybody to follow us on twitter at uh, state of america podcast we have an instagram page state of america and a facebook page state of america podcast so uh We'll be back next week. And this week uh, is kind of a sad occasion for me. Uh, my best friend growing up, Eddie Dunavant, died. He um, 
was a uh, a brilliant musician and he was my first music friend and we started taking guitar lessons together and we went, were in sixth grade and uh just a, a huge music fan he and i went to a couple of black crow shows together and uh we were actually supposed to go see uh, the Tedeschi Trucks Band and Blackberry Smoke, but uh, unfortunately he passed. And so um, I asked Ian if I could dedicate tonight's play out to him, and it's a song that's very appropriate. I miss you, buddy. Descending. Well, there was just a few years ago 